Good morning. It's good to be together with you today. If you would open your Bibles, please, to Genesis 48. Genesis 48, and our Bible reading will begin at verse 1. Listen now to the inerrant, inspired word of the living God. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now... Your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, where there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we join together in prayer this morning asking your blessing on our time. As we have your word open before us, we pray that our hearts would be open before you. We pray that you would do a great work in our hearts by your spirit that your name would be proclaimed, that Christ would be lifted up, that you would be pleased to bless your people today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In April of 1955, the great physicist Albert Einstein lay in his hospital bed suffering from an abdominal aneurysm. It had been surgically repaired some years before, but he was back in the hospital with it and Though he was very ill, he had with him the draft of a speech that he was to give on television in a few days, and he was working on that. Well, he never got to give that speech because he died in that hospital room. And as he was dying, he uttered a few words, the last words of a dying genius of historic significance and notoriety and importance. Final words tend to carry a special weight, don't they? 
They tend to convey what is most important to the person at that time. They might reveal what the dying person considers to be some crucial, unfinished business. They have a special significance, a special weight. And so, what was most important to Einstein at that moment? What might he have considered to be vital, unfinished business that he needed to complete? Well, the, the one person to hear these precious last words was the nurse attending him. And so, from his deathbed, he opened his mouth and he spoke a few words in his native German language. And his nurse may have been prepared for his death, but she was not prepared for what she heard. You see, the hospital was in New Jersey and the nurse didn't speak German. And so, for that reason, we will never know what Einstein's last thoughts were. I know, I was hoping for better news, but... <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> but here towards the close of Genesis, at the, at the end of the life of a person of even greater renown and significance, Israel himself, Jacob, at the end of his life, we have re recorded for us his last words. We have recorded for us in Holy Scripture what he viewed as unfinished business, what he viewed as the most important thing to talk about in these last moments of his life. And as we look at his life, we see, first of all, he is concerned with passing on blessing. Passing on blessing. We see uh, in the passage that we already read that he is reflecting back upon that great moment of theophany that we discussed back in chapter 28 when he had this vision. Remember, he was, he was uh, there by himself and he he put, uh, used a rock as his pillow, and he slept in this place. And in a vision of the night, he had this vision of a ladder extending down from heaven to the earth. And there were angels going back and forth. And then standing there was uh, God himself who spoke to him. You can imagine that dream would stay with you. Even though it was decades and decades earlier, you can imagine that he would remember that one. And indeed, he does. He reflects back upon that. We see in verse 4 that he is reflecting on God Almighty appearing to him at Luz in the land of Canaan. Verse 4, and he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession." Jacob is rehearsing in his mind for his son that vision and how significant that vision was. This was early in life. This was before he was married. This is before he had children. It's when he was on the run. He was afraid, and God spoke to him and said these things to him. He said, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. Yes, I know you're alone right now. You're, you're camped by yourself using a rock for a pillow, on the run because your brother wants to kill you, but I will make you fruitful and I will multiply you. In fact, not just in any ordinary sense, but in fact, you will become a company of peoples. And even just 20 years later, as he's coming back into the land of Canaan, you can see that that has already begun to be fulfilled. And now, as we've read about 
the 70 people coming down into the land of Egypt to find help and food there, he has become a company of peoples. So Jacob is reflecting on this. God says, I will be fruitful and I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you a great company of peoples. And don't worry, you are leaving this land, but this land that you are leaving, I give to you and to your offspring as an everlasting possession. And so he's reflecting on this theophany. He wants Joseph to remember it. Of course, Joseph had probably heard the story a hundred times. He was aware of it, but it was particularly significant in this moment, this moment in his life when Jacob is old and sick. He has to summon strength to get out of bed to talk with Joseph. And these are the words that he wants to say to him. He wants to call to mind to reflect upon that moment, that theophany that he had and the promises that God gave him. And then he does something interesting not just reflecting on the promise, not just looking back on uh, what God had said in the past or even uh, God's faithfulness in his own life, but he said in verse, in verse 5, and now your two sons, says Jacob to Joseph, your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. What's going on there? Why, why would Jacob in this moment decide that he's going to adopt his grandsons to be his own sons? Why would he do that? Is he, is he taking away from Joseph in some way? Saying, Joseph, I know these were your boys. I'm going to make them mine, and now you're left with none. And actually, he's going to talk later on about other children that, that you have fathered while in, uh, in Egypt, and, and those, those children can be yours, but the first two are mine. Is he taking something away from Joseph? He's not. What he's actually doing is he is increasing Joseph's inheritance. He is increasing Joseph's inheritance. He's actually doubling it. What's happening here is that Joseph himself is being promoted to the head of the family. He's being treated as the firstborn. Remember, the inheritance to the children, how is it divided up? Well, for the most part, it's divided up evenly except for the firstborn. And what inheritance does the firstborn get? A double inheritance. A double inheritance is being given to Joseph here. Now, it's not directly to him, and frankly, Joseph himself doesn't need much of an inheritance in his position, but it's being doubled. It's being uh, given not just one inheritance, but two inheritances by giving a portion, a full portion of inheritance to each of Joseph's first two sons. It's as if Joseph himself has received a double portion. So he's being promoted. He's being treated as the firstborn. He's being given that right of, of, uh, of eminence in the family, that position of authority and that extra blessing that comes with it. All the way back If you think about the relationship between Jacob and Joseph, we were introduced to their relationship all the way back in chapter 37 when we began what we've called the Joseph narrative. And we we read back then what really was the theme of the relationship between Jacob and Joseph when we read these words, Israel loved Joseph 
more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. Back in 37 and verse 3, we read that. And so we, we have here a, a statement made at that moment that Jacob has a special affection for Joseph. Joseph, though he's the youngest or the next to youngest, he's the child of his old age. He has a special place of prominence and position in Jacob's heart. Well, now he's just making it formalized, isn't he? If you remember, of course, the storyline of Joseph himself is driven by this special affection that his father had for him, that the other sons hated it. The other sons saw this special treatment, and they saw the coat of many colors or whatever that special coat designating him as special that he received, and they did not receive. They didn't miss that, and so they kind of, uh, there was jealousy, and there was a little bit of, of anger, and then it was made worse when he started having these dreams, and so it actually developed into a hatred, and as you recall the story, it was because of that hatred that they, they finally just wanted to get rid of this dreamer. Idea number one is to kill him. Thankfully, they didn't follow that idea, but they went with idea number two, and they sold him into slavery. And so here, we have the story of Joseph's background, Joseph's history with Jacob, and what came of that. He sold into slavery, but what was God doing? Joseph wasn't a victim. He was a victim of being sold into slavery, but what God was doing was, was positioning him to be in that place to provide for Egypt, and more importantly even than providing for Egypt was providing for his own family who would benefit from him being in this position. For decades already, at this point in our story, Joseph has been acting as the firstborn. He's been providing for his family. He's been the one who has given leadership. He's provided protection. He's provided food. He's provided for them a place to live. He's been acting as the firstborn, and now it's just being formalized. And so Joseph once again receives that position of favor and blessing in the statement here of Jacob. He receives a double portion from his father in that his two sons receive their own full inheritance rather than having to split Joseph's one inheritance between the two of them. And so, the first thing that Jacob is concerned about is passing on blessing. The second thing that he's concerned about is adopting new sons. Adopting new sons. Here he is in his old age. We continue in verse 8, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now, the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. His father was the same way. You remember the story of Isaac and blessing his sons had a lot to do with Isaac's blindness. Well, now you've got Jacob in the same spot. He can't see. And so Joseph brought them near to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. Behold, God has let me see your offspring also. What a, what a sweet moment that Jacob, who 
just a few verses earlier, just a couple of chapters earlier, was embittered and was convinced that he would be embittered the rest of his life, that he had already been bereaved of his favorite son, and so he clung to Benjamin and didn't want to give him up lest he experience grief like that again, and, and, uh, and he just had a, a, a view of life that was, he was being crushed. He was grieved because of having lost his favorite son. And so he says to him now, when he's got him in his presence and he's got his two sons there, he says, I never thought I would ever even see your face again. When your brothers handed me that, that coat of many colors, but it was mostly red because it had blood all over it, and I was convinced that, that wild animals had torn you to pieces and, and I had lost you, from that moment, I never thought I would see you again. And here I am looking at your children. What a blessing. What a blessing. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, his two sons, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim, in his right hand and towards Israel's left hand as they're walking towards one another or as Joseph is walking that direction. And Jacob would have been standing, having Ephraim on his right hand, would have presented Ephraim to the left hand of Jacob. And Manasseh was in Joseph's left hand, which would have presented him to the right hand of Jacob or to Israel. And he came near. So he's presenting them so that Jacob, who's going to bless the boys, will automatically have the oldest on his right hand and the younger on the left hand. See, Joseph is presenting them in that fashion. But in typical Jacob fashion in verse 14, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. Now, Manasseh was the firstborn. So you've got him pulling the switcheroo there. You've got him switching his hands, though Joseph had prepared uh, the boys, brought the boys in proper fashion. What's, what's happening here is, is, uh, is fascinating. If you think about the life of Jacob, you think about what has been so prominent, so important to Jacob, think about how his life started. How did his life start? Well, in the womb, wrestling with his brother, and then being second born. It must have irked him to be second born, and so all through his life, his early life, he's wrestling and struggling with his brother to, to go from being second born. He wants to be the firstborn. Now, you can't fix that, right? You, can, you can't go from being the second born to the firstborn, but, but you kind of can. And so he finds a way to trick his brother first with the lentil stew, and he talks his brother into giving him his inheritance for, for dinner. Esau goes for it. And then later, you have the giving of the blessing from Isaac. And there, he just flat out lied and connived and schemed with his mother, right down to preparing a fake meal and putting on prosthetics so that he would look and smell like his brother and lied through his teeth. That he who had struggled all of his life to go from being second born to having the place of the firstborn. Now, when the children are presented in the right order, he does this to confuse the whole matter. What a very Jacob thing.
for him to do. Israel stretched out his right hand, lays it on the head of Ephraim, and, uh, who was the younger one, and then his left hand puts it on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, so he's going to give the blessing in this fashion. Why this matters is that the right hand is the position of prominence. The right hand should have been stretched out and placed upon the firstborn so that the blessing, the greater blessing, the more important blessing, the priority, the preeminence could be given to the firstborn and secondarily by the left hand to the secondborn, but he has traded it up. But in this fashion, he's going to proceed. In verse 15, he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. He's calling upon the name of God. He's describing and rehearsing and remembering what God has been like in his own life that he remembers, first of all, that my fathers walked with God. Abraham and Isaac, this is their God. I inherited this relationship. I was brought into it from a young age. This is my family's tradition. The promises that were made to Abraham, the promises that were made to Isaac have now been passed on to me. This is the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. It's not just their God. Theirs and mine. And Jacob, who had been a shepherd his whole life, identifies his God as his shepherd, recognizing that he, though he's been the shepherd, is a sheep in need of being taken care of, in need of being fed, in need of being protected, and it is God who has done that all his life. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, all of the things that Jacob faced in life, military threat, uh, his father-in-law tricking him at every turn, squabbles between his wives, problems caused by his children, problems caused by his own character all his life long. And it is, it is God who has redeemed him from all evil. It says angel there, the one who brings the message of God, brings that information from God, not referring to an angelic being. I think he's talking about the exact same God who was the God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac, the exact same God who has been his own shepherd, is the very one who has redeemed him from all evil. And he he, he, he calls upon God using such names, using all of these things that remind him of who God is, and more importantly, remind Joseph and remind the boys of who this God is, and he says, this God, bless the boys. And in them may my name be carried on, in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. He's adopting these new sons as his own, and he's passing on his blessing, not as a grandfather, but as a father to them. And he's 
He's praying in such a way, he's giving this blessing in such a way that they will realize the significance of what he's doing. So they will realize who this God is he's talking about. When we pray, when we lead in pastoral prayer, when we pray uh, as we're preaching, when we pray with our families in uh, the context of, uh, of our own homes or in a connect group, we're not just listing as many names of God as we can list. We're not just saying things uh, about God. We, what we're doing is we are, we are zeroing in in our own minds of why it is we think God would answer this prayer. It's because of who He is. Who has He shown Himself to be? And so we call to mind His faithfulness to us. We call to mind His promises to us in Scripture. We call to mind things He has done very specifically for His people in Scripture. We're being reminded of who God is, and in light of that, as we who are praying are recalling that about God and, 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 and praying in that way, those who are involved in the prayer but not doing the speaking are entering into the same place, being reminded of who God is and what He's like. And how in the world can we expect Him to answer this prayer? Well, it's because of who He is, and here is who He is shown himself to be. And that's what Jacob is doing here with this prayer. Calling to mind who God is, wanting the boys to understand this. And so the result of this, the consequence of this prayer, this blessing, he says, bless the boys and in them may my name be carried on. That is, they've been moved up a generation. They who were his grandsons have been made his sons. They've been brought up, promoted into a new generation so that the blessings of Jacob go to them more directly than as if they were only grandsons. Now, which gives you a more valuable inheritance? To be a grandson with a rich grandpa or to be a son with a rich dad. Which gives you a greater inheritance? Well, by being moved up in the ranks, by being taken from grandchildren to sons, they have gone from, from being two grandsons amongst dozens of grandsons to being two sons amongst a dozen sons. Their inheritance has skyrocketed in value by them being adopted and brought directly into Jacob's family. And so this is what Jacob is trying to accomplish. And if you think about the nation of Israel and you think about all of the different tribes, suddenly you have the tribe of Ephraim, the tribe of Manasseh, where otherwise you would not have had that. The tribes are named after the sons of Jacob, and these two grandsons have been brought into that position. Jacob is concerned about passing on blessing. He's concerned about adopting new sons. And now he's concerned about arranging his inheritance. We continue in verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. The, 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 the hand of prominence has gone to the second child. It displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. 
Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day. He meant to do it. One might think perhaps it was because of his blindness. Perhaps he was just confused. He didn't really know what was going on, and so he accidentally got uh, discombobulated, and, and this thing happened. And when Joseph confronts him on it, and says, no, Dad, you, you, you need to move his hand over here because this is the firstborn, and, and we need to straighten this out. And Jacob says, no, I meant it. I meant it. That Manasseh, though he's the firstborn, He's actually not going to be as great as Ephraim. The greater is the younger. And so, in that manner, in a very unusual fashion, Jacob passes on blessing, have, having his hands crossed and doing so on purpose. In verse 20, so he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim. And as Manasseh, and thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. So he's arranging his inheritance that he's passing on, and he's deciding in what order is given. He decides that the greater inheritance, not only is it going to, uh, to involve moving grandchildren into the position of children, but it's going to involve moving the secondborn into the position of primacy so that his inheritance is greater. What's going on here? What, what's happening in this passage. What are the implications for what we've, what we've looked at? Well, there's a, a huge implication that is going on in this section. We, we could look at the consequences to the nation of Israel with the fact that, that Ephraim and Manasseh have had their birth order reversed and then been brought into sonship rather than grandsonship, which would have moved them into a position of relative obscurity or would have left them in that position into which they had been born. So they're, they're brought to the forefront, and so now when we count the tribes of Israel, we include Ephraim and Manasseh. They're brought from that generation into this generation. Thus, uh, we see that the prominence to them is greater. We also see that there is uh, a, a, a double portion being given to Joseph. Joseph is treated as the firstborn. He who had received the special coat, he who had uh, received his father's special uh, affection from the very beginning, is now officially in that position as being firstborn. But the greatest implication, as, as we look at this, I believe is this. The father has the right to pass his inheritance to whomever he wishes. Here this father, Jacob, with his wealth, with his inheritance, with the promises and blessings that have been given to him, he has the right to distribute those as he sees fit, doesn't he? 
Joseph even confronts him on it. says, Dad, your hands were crossed. You had your right hand, the hand of greater blessing, on the lesser son. Jacob says, Dad, I meant to do that. That was on purpose. Jacob adds to the number of his children, and the inheritance is distributed accordingly. Well, Almighty God also has the right to pass on his inheritance as he sees fit to whom he wishes. If he wants to include someone else in, does he have the right to do that? Jacob did. God does. The everyday blessings, perhaps of height or intelligence. I look at tall people and I think, you know, I grew up really short. And then I, I, you know, achieved the height that I have, which isn't all that great. But I look at people taller and I wonder, why did God make them tall and not me? Right? Everyday, everyday stuff. Intelligence, perhaps. Did God give intelligence equally across the board? That has not been my experience. Right? How about wealth? or even opportunity in life. Does he give all to all equally? No. He distributes it differently. How about beauty? How about ability? God gets to distribute those everyday blessings as he sees fit. They are his to distribute. Well, the same is true with the eternal blessings of salvation, aren't they? Does he get to distribute that inheritance as he sees fit? The forgiveness of sins, peace with God, they're His to give as He sees fit. And, and what does John tell us in John chapter 3 and verse 16? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. How did God show His love? How did, did God demonstrate for the world His love for the world? Well, He gave Jesus His only Son. The, the, the second person of the Trinity takes on flesh, born as a baby, lives in this world as one of us, yet obedient to God, always doing God's will, always obeying His Father from the heart, His whole life long. And then He was put to death on the cross to bear the penalty that sinful people deserve to pay. That's how God showed His love for the world. And proving that the payment of Jesus was sufficient, God raised Him from the dead on the third day, giving Him victory over death. So how was it God loved the world? How did God demonstrate His love? He demonstrated His love in that fashion, by sending His Son. And what's the purpose? What's the, what's the result? What's the goal of all of that? That we might have eternal life. That we, would, that we would know Him, that we would have sins forgiven, that we would have right standing with God, that we would not have the judgment we deserve because of our sins, but instead that we would have life with God in heaven for eternity. That's the purpose. But notice who receives it. The Father has the right to distribute his inheritance as he sees fit. How does God distribute that inheritance of eternal life? Whoever believes in him receives it. It's not, it's not broadly given to the whole world such that the whole world will receive this eternal life. No, he gives the inheritance as he sees fit. He gives it to those who have faith in Christ. 
He gives it to all those who believe in him so that they have their sins paid for, so that they have peace with God. They inherit eternal life. And there's another implication connected very closely to this. How is it that Ephraim and Manasseh receive blessing as sons from their grandfather? It's because he adopts them as his own sons. They were grandsons. Now that that put them in the family, and there would have, they, they would have had certain inheritance, etc. But he takes them from that position of being far and brings them right into his own family, and thus they receive the inheritance. And folks, that's how it works for you and me. How is it that we can be considered children of God? How is it that we can even be considered for this inheritance? An inheritance is not for those who are not part of the family. The inheritance of the sons was not meant directly for the grandsons. And so what Jacob did was adopt them into his own family. And that's what happens to us. Wrapped up in that faith in Christ and believing in him, wrapped up in all of that is that God takes those who were formerly at enmity with him, those who were rebellious against him and deserved nothing good from God, and brings them right into his own family and counts them as his sons so that we receive inheritance because we are in Christ, because we have been adopted into His family. The Father has the right to pass His inheritance how He sees fit, and this is how our Father, this is how God Almighty has seen fit to pass the inheritance of eternal life, is by faith in His Son. Praise God for that. And so the first point of application for us is put your faith in Christ. If you, don't, if you don't know Christ, if you're still relying upon some thing that you've done, some list that you can accomplish, some ladder you can climb, some quality about yourself or some other path you're going to take, thinking you're going to be made right with God, I, I want to disabuse you of that notion. That will not work. When the assessment is given, when you stand before God and you, and, and you show your own record and say, see, here's the path I decided to follow, you will find that record will come up short every single time. The consequences to those who want to show that, who want to make that argument before God, the consequences are eternal. Separation from God in a place called hell where the only the only thing from God that you experience is His judgment. But for all those who believe in the Son, who put their faith in Christ, they, those who are adopted right into the family, when they, when they die and they stand before God, they are treated based upon the record of Christ Himself. And that record passes every that record passes all scrutiny, and the reward is eternal life. So the first point of application, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, do that. The second point of application for us, be content with the gifts the Father has given you compared to what He's given others. Be content. The Father gets to distribute the blessings, the grand blessings of the gospel and salvation and the regular everyday blessings as well 
So be content with what God has given you. When we rail against our lot in life, when we rail against not being tall enough or whatever, when we rail against our circumstances and and we're ultimately shaking the fist at God and saying, you did it wrong. I deserve better. You don't deserve better, nor do I. But the Father distributes His blessings as He sees fit, so be content. Thirdly, take care to pass your faith to your children. What we have here is Jacob passing on one more time the account of what God has done in his life, what God has been in his life. Pass your faith to your children and take every opportunity to do so. Don't wait till your deathbed. Too many of us don't make it to the deathbed. We die before we get there. So how do we do that? How do we pass our faith to our children? Well, pray for your children. Pray with your children. Teach your children the gospel. Share the gospel with them. Call them to faith in Christ when they're young and when they're old. Teach them the Bible when they're young and they listen to everything you say. And when they're a little older and they don't listen to everything you say. Teach them the Bible. Point them to Christ. Use every opportunity to direct them to Christ. Be open with your children about your faith. Talk about how you are praying and trusting the Lord with difficult decisions, hard circumstances, your own life, the things that you wrestle with. Bring your kids into that, not in a way that's destructive and tells them too much you know, information and, and, and stuff like that, but you want them to know that you are struggling and how you are struggling. You are struggling by looking to Christ. You're struggling in prayer. You're struggling by looking to God's Word. You're struggling by seeking godly counsel. Include your children in that. Bring them into that. Ask questions of your children. And let your children and encourage your children to ask questions of you. I could go on. But take care to pass your faith to your children. Fourthly, Take care to pass blessings to your children. How's that different from three? With all the things you could give your children, all the opportunities, education, all the different good things you could expose your children to, with all that you could that you have at your disposal to present to your children, to, to train your children, to give to your children, with all of that, consider what blessings you really want to pass on to them. What is the most important thing? If you made a, a priority list, most important to least important of all of those things, what's at the top of that list? For the Christian family, the blessing of knowing Christ and having a maturing walk with Him is right at the top. Right at the top. So consider all of those other opportunities, the things you could pass on to your children, and weigh all of those other things against that one top goal. Because many of the things that we could give our kids in in a desire to bless them can actually get in the way of what is the greatest blessing. What is that top priority of knowing Christ and have a maturing walk with Him. Can we give anything better to our children? As Jacob's life 
comes to an end, there are some things that are top priority for him. He has some unfinished business that he wants to take care of. His family is on his mind. The blessings God has given him, the promises God has made are on his mind. That's what's most important to him. At the end of his life and before he runs out of time, he wants to pass on to his sons the blessings that God has given him. Can't you relate, parents? Let's you and I take stock now of what we want our family's spiritual heritage to be. We don't have to wait until the end, until our deathbed, and hope the person attending us can understand the importance of the words we're saying, not like that poor nurse who didn't speak German. We don't have to wait. We don't have to hope. Start now. Even if you feel like you're already a little behind, you look at the years that have passed and you say, I'd like to have those years back. Start now. We want the generations that follow us to hear from us something like what Joseph heard from Jacob when Jacob said, Behold, I am about to die. The implication there is, and so will you. But God will be with you if you are in Christ and will see you safely to that heavenly land of your fathers. Could we want anything greater for our children? Could we pass on anything better to our children? I don't think so. And so let's you and I focus on that. Let's, let's you and I seek to pass on to our children the blessings that God has given us, the lessons that He's taught us, the things that He's taken us through, so that we can pass them on to our children and see our children not be grandchildren of God because He doesn't have any grandchildren, but to be adopted as his own children. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful that you have brought me into your family. You have adopted me as your own. I, who was in rebellion against you, at enmity with you, running the other direction, not wanting anything to do with you, though I would have been happy to receive good gifts from you. But in Christ, you adopted me as your own. Brought me right into your family and gave me a seat at the table. Gave me the blessings that belong only to your son. And now I get to partake in them. Father, I pray that everyone here and everyone who hears my voice would be brought in likewise, would put their faith in Christ, would have a seat at the table and get to partake of the blessings that belong only to Christ and that we have access to only by faith in Christ. And may we pass that message and that truth on to our children. May we take the opportunities that we have now, not waiting until our deathbed at some, uh, some unknown time, but, but beginning now to pass on, to direct our children and our grandchildren to you, that they too might partake of the same blessings in Christ. We are grateful for this life that we have in Jesus. We are grateful for eternal life in Christ. 
And we ask for your blessing as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to uh, make known that there is a, we have a couple of um, special benevolence needs that I would direct your attention to, and you can uh, give towards uh, benevolence at any time. We, we take a particular offering uh, on the first Sunday of the month, but at any time you can give to benevolence. Just mark your check, or, or if it's cash in an envelope or whatever, just make sure it says benevolence on it, and just leave it in the box in the back. Um, we have some significant ones coming up, and um, so I would encourage you to uh, consider what, um, uh, what you can do, what the Lord might have you do in those contexts. It would be an encouragement to the entirety of the body um, uh, for, for you to participate in that. So I would encourage you that direction. I want to close us with these words today from the Apostle Paul that, that are powerful. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen and amen. If you want to pray with someone, there will be a family up front to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you all, and I hope to see you this evening, but you are dismissed.